Lord, thank you so much for this time. Um, just hearing your word in Romans, what an amazing book. Lord, thank you that you're a speaking God. Thank you that you are the word. All of our words, all communication, the intelligibility of the universe, it all comes from you. You spoke and created all things and you made us and you made us for yourself. And so, and you revealed yourself fully through your son. And um, Jesus, I pray that we would meet with you, that you would meet with us tonight. Uh, we're assured that we're gathered here in your name. There's no other name that we're gathered for or under. Uh, you're the reason that we're here. And you say that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. So you're here. Lord, um, that's a sobering and a wonderful thing. Would you, would you come by your spirit and fill us with understanding and with a love for you? Would you make us love you more as we, as, as you unfold uh, your word? Would it give light? Would it shine light on you, Jesus, um, and on just, Father, your wonderful plan and your Son to, to save us and to bring us to yourself and to remake all things. We bless you. We love you. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, be exalted. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, we are in Romans 4. We're going we're gonna to do the whole chapter tonight. So, we're going to get all the way through Romans 4. I'll probably read it in sections, but I'm not sure. So, um... I am titling tonight's talk, we're in Romans 4, I'm titling it, We're Justified Just As Abraham Was. We're Justified Just As Abraham Was. So, let's just jump right in. We, we were talking about the wrath of God revealed against all human unrighteousness, both for Jew and for Gentile, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then last week we broke into the amazing good news um, that there is a righteousness that is not from the law, it ha- doesn't have to do with our, our obedience to the law. It's, it's a righteousness from God that's outside, apart from the law, but the law bears witness to it. The, the scriptures bear witness to it. And, um, and, it, and that is the righteousness provided through Jesus Christ himself. And hey, guys, th- yeah, there are notes as always, or note pages and then hymns, so go, make sure you have one of those as you trickle in. We're in Romans 4, and we're just about to read uh, at least some of the text. We'll get through the whole chapter, God willing, tonight. So... So we're justified just as Abraham was. So this is more of Paul showing us what he said in Romans 3, uh, verse 21, where he says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And he's really going to show us in more detail, particularly through Abraham, the father of the faith and the father of the Jews, how this is nothing new. This is something that uh, we are saved in the same way that, that Abraham was saved. And, and, and that really all Jews and all Gentiles are saved. And so what we'll do is we'll just read verses 1 through 8 of Romans 4, and then we'll see if, I want to read more, but we'll take that chunk. We'll start with that chunk. Um, so let me go ahead and read again just for the sake of the recording. I wish somebody else could, but just so we've got it, we've got it recorded. Uh, we're in Romans chapter 4, and there is candy, so grab some if you want some. No pears tonight, I don't think, but those were delicious last week, and uh, we've got candy tonight. So. Someone might be bringing brownies. Somebody might be bringing brownies. Okay, thanks for the heads up. <laughs> All right. Okay, so let's do Romans 4. I'm going to start in verse 1. Welcome, welcome. Grab some candy. Grab. Make sure they get uh, notes in, in, a, in a hymn, guys. We'll sing the hymn at the end. We've just prayed, and we'll, we'll just read the scripture now. We're in Romans 4. So let me read. So what then shall we say? This is Romans 4.1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham? Our forefather, according to the flesh. For if Abraham... Now, when Paul says our forefather, he's speaking as a Jew, right? 
Okay, so this is the fourth. This is the father of all of the whole Jewish race. Okay, so what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Verse one: For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul's quoting here from Genesis fifteen, verse six. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. We'll definitely come back to that. Verse four. Now to the one who works, his wages are counted, uh, are not counted, excuse me, as a gift, but as his due. So you get paid for your work, right? Verse five. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. What a wonderful verse. His faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And so I think what I'm going to do here is I'm going to stop, and then we'll read verses 9 through 12 um, as the second section here. But under verses 1 through 8, I just want to say that point 1 is that Abraham uh, was, con- was, was considered righteous by faith, not work. Okay, so Romans 4 We'll just do one through eight for now, and then we will read through the rest of the chapter as we go. And then I really want to try to stop hard stop by 8.30, 8.35 at the latest so we can have a good chunk of time for Q&A, and that's moving forward. We really want to try hard to do that. So Abraham uh, considered righteous by faith, not work. Um, so the father, G, uh, Paul tells us the father of the Jews was reckoned as righteous by faith. Now, faith in whom? Yeah, faith in another, faith in God, not faith in Abraham. Abraham wasn't reckoned or considered as if he were righteous through faith in him himself, his own performance, his own uh, good works, but rather through God and through faith in God and trust in another. He was reckoned as if he were righteous. So the father of the Jews, Paul tells us, was reckoned as righteous by faith in another, not works of his own. So... So Paul is basically saying, so why should the transaction surprise us where we trust in Jesus and through faith in him, we are considered righteous when it's, it's been like this since the beginning of the Jewish race is what he's saying, right? Um, we are reckoned righteous by faith in the righteousness of another, namely Jesus, not by our own work. So he's saying, why should we be surprised? He's taking us all the way back to Abraham. This is like the argument that every Jew needs to hear. I mean, this is the coup de grace. All right, and I think he's, I think he, shocked and surprised and angered and wowed a lot of Jews and still does today with this argument. And we'll see, we'll see along the way in some ways how. So how was Abraham considered righteous before God? By keeping the law? No. No. By how? By faith. By faith, okay, by faith, very plainly. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And if I can bracket that and say the way that it, the sense of it is, the sense of it, not the direct translation, from the Hebrew and then the Greek, but in Hebrew, and originally it's in Hebrew. He's quoting from Genesis 15, so the original language there would have been what? Hebrew, Hebrew right? But he's quoting, he's, he's quoting from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew, and he is giving us the Greek equivalent word. So literally, the literal translation is, as you see it in your ESV Bible, and he believed the Lord. Abraham believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. But if I can bracket that, the sense is, and he, the Lord, counted it to him as if it were his righteousness, as if it were his. But it wasn't. It was, like y'all said, it was God's. God, can, God 
considered, when Abraham looked to, to God by faith in God's promise and he believed the promise that God gave him, um, he considered uh, God's own righteousness as if it were Abraham's, okay? So the Hebrew actually says, and he believed in, in the Lord, not in his existence, not, in, not just in his existence, okay? He did believe in his existence, but not just a mental assent to, okay, God, he believed that God existed, but in his goodness and in his consequent ability to keep his word, to do what he said he, he would do. Um, okay, let me read, th- th- now this is, it's going to sound dry. Let me read from a high-powered uh, Greek theological dictionary here on this, on this verb, um, counted, okay, or reckoned, I think, in the ESV. Um, Abraham believed God, okay, it is counted, and it was counted to him as righteousness. This, this verb, um, the Hebrew, okay, I'm quoting, this is from Genesis 15, right? So the original. The Hebrew verb, chesed, exhibits two basic semantic elements. The first is the element of calculation with its modifications, account, compute, charge, settle accounts. Thus, count, value, or calculate. Um, and, that's the, that there, and there's a second element, uh, but this, is the, this first semantic element is the one that interests us. It's an accounting word. It's a counting word, a word of computation. So I think we've talked about this before, but there's God's righteousness on the right side of the ledger. And then there's your righteousness, or in this case, Abraham's righteousness, uh, on the left side of the ledger. And really, as we've learned in the past few weeks, as we've looked at Romans 1, 2, and 3, our righteousness isn't a righteousness at all. It's an unrighteousness. There's not a single righteous person on the face of planet Earth, not a single one, right? Um, but what when Abraham, including Abraham, but when he believed God, there was God's righteousness on one side of the ledger and his on the other. And Genesis 15, 6 is telling us that God moves God's right side of the ledger, his own righteousness, into Abraham's left side so that it counts for him. It counts, God's own righteousness counts as if it were Abraham's when Abraham looks to God and believes his promise. Um, so then God does the sum differently. He computes Abraham's righteousness as full up, as perfect, because God's own righteousness now counts for Abraham. This is God's math through the mechanism of faith, which is like, if I can use another metaphor, it's like a pipe, an empty pipe through which all the favor or grace, that's what the word grace means. We talked about that last week. It means favor. All the favor or grace of God flows to those who trust in him. And in his way of providing for us with something that he has done, not something that we have done, but something that he has done. Um, something that we could never do. And uh, like I said, Paul's quoting from the Greek translation of the, uh, of the Hebrew Bible. What's the Greek translation of the Old Testament called? Anyone know? Septuagint. And it's, it's the, the, the uh, sort of way of writing is LXX, okay? So, um, so the Septuagint, uh, which 70 LXX in, in Roman numerals, translated literally from the Greek, Romans 4, 3 reads this way. And Abraham believed God. This is, I'm laboring this because it's such a key verse. And Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him. It was accounted to him as righteousness. Um, what does the ESV here say? It was, account- it was counted to him as righteousness. That word uh, in the Greek, that preposition as, is actually just a standard preposition for into, to or toward. Okay, It, count- it was accounted to him uh, to or toward or into righteousness. Um, so, so we, we get um, from this doctrine, 
we get the doctrine, from this truth, we get the doctrine, the Reformation doctrine of sola fides. And what is sola fides? Yeah, by faith alone what? And pack, unpack that. It's exactly right. By faith alone. Man is made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Not through our works. Yeah. That's right. Not through our own works at all, but through faith, which receives the work of God done on our behalf. And that's the gospel in a nutshell. So through faith alone, not through any work that we've done, but through simply saying, I can't work to make myself right before God. You've done the work. And, and Paul's going to get here, and has been here, but he's going to get there again. Namely, you've done the work wholly through your son, Jesus Christ. Abraham was looking forward to Jesus as he looked at God's promise. We look back to Jesus, but we're only ever given a righteousness, imputed. It's pushed into our account. Um, imputed is the word that theologians use. Um, it, we're, we're considered with a righteousness not our own. It's the righteousness of Christ himself. Abraham it was the same for Abraham as it is for us. For anyone who looks to God and trusts him, we are given a righteousness that's, um, we talked about this too, but theologians say it's an alien righteousness. When I say alien, I don't mean, again, the flying saucer. What do I mean when I say an alien righteousness? Outside. Yeah, there's, a, there's, there's an outside righteousness that is reckoned or computed or accounted as yours and pushed from God's ledger into yours when you look to Jesus by faith. Taylor, my Bible says reckoned. Yeah, it's good accounting word. Yeah, reckoned. It's another word, but it's, you know, the same thing. Yes, totally. Absolutely. Um, so faith in Christ, take, we'll come at it from different angles. Faith in Christ takes hold of a righteousness of God. And like we've said before, it's a righteousness from God. It's not from us. And that takes us all the way back to Paul's thesis for the entire book, Romans 1.17, right? The gospel um, reveals to us a righteousness of God. The, the preposition also means a righteousness from God. And that's one of the things that unlocked everything for Martin Luther. He kept, trying to, he kept trying to do enough good stuff to measure up to God as a monk. Punctilious obedience. Punctilious sin confession. Not just doing enough good stuff, but trying to do enough confession and penance to get rid of the bad stuff. And when he came across this verse, and he realized, wait, wait, it's not a righteousness from me at all. It's a righteousness from God himself that the gospel reveals to me and gives to me as I receive it with the open hand of faith. That, uh, that, that changed Martin Luther, and it's been changing the West ever since. And this is, this is, this is the thesis of the book of Romans. Um, so, Paul, so Paul, like I said, he's merely unpacking his thesis that he stated in Romans 1.17, and he's going to do this for the rest of the letter. He'll do it theologically through chapter 11, and then he'll do it practically from chapters 12 through 16. And, and you know, let me just, let me just put, put what I just said there in a sort of phrase that's not my own, but orthodoxy, you know, um, right, right belief uh, leads to orthopraxy, leads to right practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what Paul does in all of his letters, he says, here's the gospel. Here's, here's what we're called to believe that God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And then here's the difference that it ought to make in our lives. And he, and he, never, and he never reverses that order. Um, let's, so let me just, uh, so for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. To the one in this verse, this verse is an earth shaking verse. Verse five. The whole gospel is packed into this verse. And to the one who does not work, 
but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. In other words, who, who makes right before God himself. Who makes just before God himself, the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness, right? So he doesn't work, but he believes in him, just like Abraham did. He's talking about Abraham, who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. Um, this is the gospel in a very few words. Um, the phrase here, but believes in him. Like I said, this is not just mental assent, like I believe that this table exists. But, and we've, we've heard this example before, but it, it's helpful. You, you put your weight. It's talking about something that, that you, you be, Abraham believed in God. He put his weight into God. He relied on God. It's like um, not just believing in that chair, but, but sitting down in it, putting your weight on it, trusting in it. Um, you rely on, Abraham relied on God's righteousness for him. Okay? The, the Greek literally reads, but believes onto him. Epi. It, it's just the standard preposition for, for onto. Uh, you cast yourself on God and say, I trust you. I'm going to lean on your word. Your belief casts you onto God. You depend on him fully to be right with him. Not, you're not depending on your own work at all. You're depending on his work, his promise, his ability to keep his promise. So a couple of examples is like stepping into a shower. Uh, where God is the shower versus trying to not trusting the shower is going to clean you. And instead you try to clean yourself up instead. Maybe you try to do that before getting in the shower. Maybe you don't get in the shower at all. But you think I can do this. No, step into the shower. God says, I, I provided a way through my son, Jesus Christ to clean you and to give you a righteousness. That's not your own. It's alien. It's outside of you. It's actually the righteousness of my son, Jesus Christ. Cause you can't, because all of our works are like filthy rags to you, to take a phrase from Paul in another letter, right? In Philippians. Um, again, it's not like believing that this chair exists, but it's depending on it to support you. It's sitting in it. Um, okay, God's promise to Abraham. Basically, I will provide you with a land and a people. This is from Genesis 12. I will provide you with a place and a people, right? The two Ps. From your loins, a people from your loins. He, and Abraham was old. And he said, There's gonna, I'm going to create a people from you that is going to fill this land of Israel, but it's also going to fill the entire planet. And it's going to bless all of creation. He's, and he's, he said in Genesis 12, 3, I, through you I will, and through your people, I will bless every family, all the families of the earth. Okay, all the families of the earth. Abraham didn't go in, in response to that promise, yes, I can do this. He said, yes, I believe you will do this. I don't know how, but I believe you will. I trust in your word, your ability, not mine. Um, and I think the amazing thing is not so much Abraham's faith, but God's response. God counted Abraham's faith as if it were righteousness. Um, this means that God can justify or declare just or right those who are not right, the unrighteous, the ungodly, which we find out the next, the very next thing that happens in the Abraham saga is that he goes down to Egypt and he pawns his wife off as his sister and he imperils God's promise. So we see, we see in lots of cases that Abraham is a sinful man like we are. So he's not considered righteous because he's so great. He's considered righteous because he believes in God's promise. And God's promise to us is Jesus. As Paul has said, as Paul will say, I've provided a way to make you right with me, to lift your sins off of you and to give you an outside righteousness, not your own, but, but his 
look to him. And so Paul is drawing this parallel. He's saying, look, it's always been this way. Abraham was looking forward to Jesus. We look back to Jesus. It's always, the gospel is in the Old Testament concealed. It's in the New Testament. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. Um, Verse 6. Uh, so let me read verse five again. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Verse six, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. So um, what's he doing here? He's quoting from the law. He's quoting from the first book of the Bible, which is part of what was considered the Torah, the law, the foundation of the rest of the Hebrew Bible. So when you take from the law, there's a sense in which you're, you're taking from the entire Hebrew Bible, the entire Old Testament, because it's the foundation. But then he then goes and says, well, yeah, so we see this with Abraham. We see the, the approach that we take to right, being righteous. Being, being, we're not righteous in our own works. But when we look to Jesus, his righteousness counts for us. He's like, this isn't something new. This is something that the law and the prophets and the whole rest of the Hebrew Bible, the whole rest of the Old Testament attest to. So he quotes from the law first, from Abraham, and then he goes, and then he moves to the Psalms. He's like, it's also in the Psalms. It's all over the Psalms. And he quotes from David in Psalm 32 here. Um, the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And he's really, again, recalling a few verses before in Romans 3.21, where he says, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And he's showing us how that the law and the Psalms, the writings, bear witness to it. Um, and of course, it doesn't... It, We've talked about this before, but um, it's easy to think about ways in which the prophets bear witness to a righteousness that they point to that's outside of us, like Isaiah 53, right? The suffering servant, the one who will suffer in our place, the one who will make us clean by bearing our sins on his shoulders, the one who will be punished for us. Um, Okay, so verses 7 through 8. Let's, let's read the, the psalm, Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2 that, that Paul quotes here. So he's just taken from Abraham and the law, and now he moves to the psalms. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Um, the heart of the gospel imputed righteousness, righteousness that's not ours, that's, that's considered as if it were ours, covering us like a garment. And sin expiated, big theological word, just means wiped away, removed. It's all through the Old Testament, right? Um, The law, the Psalms, the prophets, Isaiah 53 and other places, like I said. Paul is telling us, one, there's nothing new. Excuse me, this is nothing new, but it's been manifesting Christ. But all that stuff, all, all, all the Jewish scriptures point to it. And number two, Christ fulfills the Old Testament. He is its embodiment. He comes along and he is in person the thing that the entire word of God uh, for centuries leading up to him points to. And he comes along and he says, yeah, all that's for me. I fulfill. I'm not doing away with the law. I'm fulfilling. I'm fulfilling the scriptures. They all point to me. Uh, and, th- and so Paul is showing us this in this chapter. Um, and, he, and he's focused on Abraham. Um, but he's taken from the Psalms here. So Jesus is the word of the Old Testament, become flesh, John 1, 14. And the word became flesh, talking about Jesus, and he dwelled among us. He tabernacled among us. Um, these verses here in Psalm 32 say that um, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. 
That word forgiven, I mean, we, we use it all the time. It's a good word. We need to be forgiven. We like to be forgiven of wrong things we do. It means dismissed, like a traffic ticket. Blessed, are, blessed is he whose lawless deeds are just, they're just dismissed. Where do they go? On Jesus. On Jesus. It's the only way that anyone's sin in lawless deeds, lawbreaking. Lawbreaking is a type of sin. There are other types of sins. Will be dismissed. Has to be paid for. Jesus paid for it. Um, and whose sins are covered. The Hebrew word for atone is kafar, and it means to cover in its most simple definition. It means to cover. Our sins are covered because um, they were exposed in Jesus. Ours, my sin can be covered, not magically. Your sin can be covered, not magically, but because they were exposed in Jesus. When we look at Jesus suffering on the cross, we see him becoming our sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, and him being put forward, as we, read, as we talked about last week, uh, pinned up to a tree by the will of God, to bear our sin and to save us through the evil of man, but God using our sin and evil to sort of put up for the world to see our sin and our sins can be covered because he was exposed and he was exposing our evil and misdeeds and paying for them, taking our shame, becoming our sin, bearing the wrath of God for us. Um, And so our sins can be covered because they were exposed in Christ, and he was exposed as they were laid on him. And then, the, and then uh, verse 8 says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Um, blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not account his sin. Um, again, because our sins, as we look to Jesus, were pushed into his side of the ledger, and they were counted as if they were his and his righteousness was counted as if it were, and is counted when we look to him as if it were ours. And that's, um, let me just stop here and say a couple things. Let's talk just for a second. This isn't in the notes, but about justification. So when we look to Jesus and we are, God look, we look to Jesus and we say, I believe that he took, he lived the life that I should live and he died the death that I deserve. And I believe on the promise of God, which is Jesus, to, to make me right. We are declared righteous as, in a, as if in a court of law before the ultimate judge, God. And that declaration of righteousness is uh, an intrinsic, a big part of our being justified. We're declared Right, as if we were righteous with the righteousness of another, the alien righteousness of Jesus, the outside righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's a courtroom declaration. It's a status, not guilty. You are not guilty. You're righteous with the righteousness of Christ. That righteousness, that's justified. We are justified. It's instantaneous. The minute you trust in Christ, your status changes forever. You can never lose that. But that actually works itself out in you, and you become more and more like Jesus with his actual righteousness. That alien righteousness, as he takes up residence in you, it weds itself to you and it changes you from the inside out forever. And it's a slow process that works itself out through faith in Jesus, just like justification. No, no less through faith in Jesus, but it, the time period is different. It's slowly throughout the course of your life, you become, you become more and more like Jesus, actually. Not just considered righteous, not just declared righteous, a status, but actually that righteousness works itself into you. 
but it's still every bit by faith and every bit through vital union with Jesus Christ as we're united to him by faith. Not through our own works, through his work, through his person, through his presence. That's not just a status, declaration of righteousness, justification. It's a process called sanctification. And that's gonna, that, the Lord will finish that for every single child who is his, who looks to Jesus by faith. And that's called glorification. When we see Jesus face to face, we will be finished. We will become like him. We will, we will become as he is. And that's called glorification. Paul's going to get there. Um, but it's all of Christ. Sanctification, no less than justification. It's all of Christ and it's all by faith. And he's the one that gives us our faith. So we don't have to worry about, was my faith strong enough? Faith is simply saying, I'm, I'm not strong enough. You are. You've done it. Just like Abraham said, right? You've done it. I believe in your promise, not my ability to keep it. Um, let's, let's move to verses 9 through 12. Um, before we do, slight pause. We'll move to verses 9 through 12, and then we'll finish with that last chunk, 13 through the end of the chapter. And we'll slow down for verses 24 and 25, and then we'll have a Q&A. Um, verses 9 through 12. I've simply titled, This Applies to Jews and Gentiles. It's really the point Paul makes there. This applies to Jews and Gentiles. He's made that point before. Um, he's going to make it again here in a different way. We won't spend much time on this one. Any, anything, uh, I threw a lot of heavy theology on you um, just now. Before we move on to point two, anything, any questions? I have a yeah. First and then mom next. First verse. Um, it's interesting in the ESV translation I'm looking at, it's, it reads, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? And you said that it means um, they're speaking of Abraham being the physical forefather of the Jews. Mm. But I also was listening to MOJ's commentary, and he made a big deal about actually like bracketing like our forefather. I think he's using the authorized version. Ah, yes, you KJB. Know, he was yeah. saying that that actually hmm. be, it could be read as what shall we see what then shall we say was gained by Abraham according to according to the flesh like hmm. oh, okay that, maybe that's not that, part like, of the original text gain, like what did Abraham gain by the flesh the implication being uh, nothing yes 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 so I mean but I think it also works that way but I was just curious what you thought about that. yeah I hadn't thought about it like that I see I see that and I see how it could even be it could have a double sense Maybe. Um, I mean, clearly it's, he's the forefather of the Jews ethnically, right? They all come from him through Isaac. But if you're going down the line of, hey, we're just, we're thinking in ethnic terms. We're not thinking in terms of promise yet. He could continue that line of thought with verse two and on, right? For if Abraham was justified by works. In other words, what, if, he, what, if he did gain something... According to the flesh, mm-hmm. i.e. by works. Yeah, if, if that's right. what he means by according yeah. to the flesh. If he did by his works, then as maybe some of you Jews are trying to do by your works and by your ethnicity and by your circumcision, which he's about to get to, then, then he may have had something to boast about, but not before God, right? We can't boast before God, but he may have had something to boast about if, he'd, if he had done good works. Um, and then he says, then he counters that in verse 3, right, by saying, but what does the scripture say? Um, he doesn't try to measure up to God based on his works, but rather he believes God. Um, that's interesting. I, yeah, I, I didn't get to dig into Martin Lloyd-Jones, but thanks for bringing that up. That's interesting. It, um, Mom? Um, question. When you, you asked the question, what, um, where does our sin go? 
and we said, we said Jesus. But my question is, did Jesus die for every time I said, and you said, and you said, or did he not die for all the sin in the world? Like, you know what I'm saying? The first one. Like, every time I sinned, he's died for that sin. But, and then every time Rachel sins, he's died for those sins. And not multiple. He died once, right? The scriptures are very clear about that. History is clear about that. Forensics that are clear about he that. He had more sin on him, like more sin on him, than he would have if I hadn't sin, done this sin here. Yes. Then he wouldn't have had that sin on him. Right. Because it's, he's The sin has to be paid for. Sin. Every sin That's in the universe. Sad. That is a huge motivator for not sinning yeah. as a believer. Is not... Even it's not even moving from I don't want to get caught for this, or um, I shouldn't do this. To it grieves me to think about the fact that my Savior hung on the cross and endured God's wrath for this sin, either that I just committed, which should produce sorrow and have cause us to to run from sin and run to Christ for forgiveness. And I never I hate sin. I hate sin because it puts you on the cross. Or to say. I want to flee from that sin. I don't want to do that. I really do want to do that in my flesh. It's tantalizing. But thinking about the fact that it, it, Jesus will have to have paid for that mm-hmm. makes me just go, no way. That's a huge mark of maturity in Christ. Spin on our sin. Oh, absolutely. Every sin in the universe has to be paid for. It will either be paid, has been paid for by Christ in our place or it will be paid for by us because God is just. That's the massive amount of of the point that Paul's trying to make in, in Romans 1, 2, and 3. Um, because, and, and he's saying that we can't present our own righteousness before God. Um, and so if we are going, in, but God, what God demands is righteousness because he's so just that sin has to be paid for as in a court of law. And sin is evil and evil can't exist in the universe long term because God, he can't, he can't be at peace with sin. And he has to get rid of it. And it has to be paid for. Um, just, again, we talked about just like a, good, a just judge. Can't just let sin go. He can't let evil go. He can't let, let, let law-breaking go. We wouldn't respect a judge like that if he just let stuff go. And we don't respect him. We don't respect him. And so God is the perfect judge. He's the ultimate judge. And yet, as, as soon as we, when we delve into that, and again, we're getting a little off track, but it's worth it. But we delve into that, we can start to think, well, God's, well, he's this God of inflexibility and inflexible, iron justice. His justice is perfect because he's perfect. But he's also a God of perfect love. And so he's not a God who didn't step in and take our place. He is a God who didn't flex on our sin, but because of his great love for us and to demonstrate his perfect righteousness came and took the, took the hit in our place. And so as we, as we talked about last week, the cross both shows us the amazing justice and perfect righteousness of God and that he won't wink at sin. He won't sweep it under the rug. He's paid for all of it for anyone who comes to him. And it shows us his amazing, his amazing love all at once. Yeah, Mom, that's great. That's a great question. Okay, let's keep moving. We'll get... Uh, We'll get through verse. Uh, we'll get through uh, point two briefly, and then I'll pause again, and then we can move through the last bit of the passage, and then we can have Q and A. Um, so verses nine through twelve, I've just tagged this. This applies to Jews and Gentiles. Let me read it. Is this so? Starting verse nine, is this blessing then only for the circumcised? And who are the circumcised? Jews. Jews. Okay. Or also for the uncircumcised? And who are the uncircumcised? 
Yeah, Gentiles, Greeks, sometimes he calls them Greeks, everybody else in the universe, every other person except for Jews, other than Jews, non-Jews, would be a simple way of saying it. So is this blessing only for the Jews, only for the circumcised, or also for the uncircumcised? We say, now here, he, his logic is so clean here, it almost makes you, as a Jew, if you hadn't thought about this, like, I would imagine that it would almost make you embarrassed to see you've never seen it before. You know how a great teacher, he'll say something and you're like, your, your reaction is like, how have I never seen this before? This is what Paul does here, in my opinion. Okay. We say, so he's asked, is it just, is blessing just for Jews? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's literally, it's literally exactly what Genesis 15 says, right? He believed God and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Okay. We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Verse 10. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It was not after. He wasn't considered righteous through faith after the circumcision, but before he was circumcised. So, it, um, and I, we'll get back to that. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had made, that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So Paul's saying, does this apply to Jews only or also Gentiles? And he says, Jews and Gentiles, since Abraham was reckoned righteous by faith, Genesis 15, 6, by faith in God before the sign of the Jews was applied to him, circumcision. And long before, and he doesn't say this, and long before the law of Moses came along. A Jew might also think, hey, I'm a Jew because I'm circumcised. I'm also a Jew because I keep the law. Well, guess what? Abraham was considered righteous with the righteousness of another, namely God, by believing in the promise of God 400 years before the law came. So it can't be by law keeping. So it can't be by our good deeds. It was never by our good deeds that any Jew was considered righteous. That's what Paul's saying. And it was never by circumcision. So let's take circumcision. He's reckoned as righteous in Genesis 15. What chapter, does anyone know, was he circumcised? 17. 17. Two chapters later and, and years and years later. He was 99 when he was circumcised. Years before is when uh, he believed in the promise of God. When God took him out under the stars he, in Abraham in Genesis 15, he says, hey, God, um, what's the deal? You've given me this promise, but I still haven't had any kids. Should I, how about my household manager, Eliezer? Could, is he the one? And what does God say? Takes him outside. And it's not Houston, so there are stars outside. He says, look at all this. Look at, look at the starry host. So will your, if you can count them, you'll be able to count your progeny. Is there going to be even more? And they, they say that the naked eye can see about 6,000 stars in the sky on a really, really nice, like if you're in the Colorado Rockies or whatever. But, oh, I mean, God isn't just talking about the ethnic Jews. He's talking about the children of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. He's talking about millions upon billions. I mean, way more than the stars that Abraham can see. And he's saying, You're, through you, every family of the earth, every, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And, and, um, and it's just so big. Abraham can't see how it's going to be done, but he just believes that, God, you can do it. You said it. You're as good as your word. You are truth. You're going to do it. And, it, and that, is, that is reckoned to him, accounted to him as righteousness. And, um, and so that happens in 15. And then he's circumcised later. So in verse 11, why this, why this, why this order? 
That's my question to y'all. If you look at verse 11, I'm asking you, dig into the text, why, why the order, Paul's, Paul's saying, he's arguing, why the order of, he was, he was reckoned as, it with, as if he were righteous, he was counted with the righteousness, not of himself, but of God, and then years later, he was circumcised. Why, why does it happen in that order? The circumcision wasn't what made him righteous, right? It, it was all that God had And what, is, what does he say in verse 11? That's exactly right. What does he say in verse 11? In your own words. It's a seal. Circumcision was a seal. It's a right. seal of the righteousness. Not that circumcision gave him, but that faith received that was from God himself. It's a sign, kind of like baptism. That's why Paul says what he does in Colossians 2. He says the New Testament, the New Covenant sign of the Old Covenant, of the Old Covenant sign circumcision, which never made anyone righteous, but it was a seal. It was a sign and a seal of the righteousness that was already his through faith. That's what baptism is. Baptism doesn't make you righteous. It's a sign and a seal of a righteousness, the righteousness of Christ himself, an outside righteousness that is pushed into your account when you trust in him and not in your own works. He lived for me. He obeyed the law for me. He trusted God from the heart for me. He paid for my sins on the cross. He rose from the dead, I believe. I believe that I deserve what he took. I believe that he is sufficient to take me all the way to God the Father and to make me right with him. Boom, you're considered perfectly right with God instantaneously. Courtroom status from guilty to innocent. And then that works itself out as Christ comes to take up residence in you by his spirit. Um, this is unsaid by Paul, but I think it's true. And then we'll move to point three, um, the last section of text here. So, um, so, so we could know, okay, so why, why this order? Well, Paul doesn't say this, but I think it's true. So we could know that the righteousness does not come, we've already talked about this, by circumcision. But that circumcision is a sign of righteousness that's applied to us through faith. We've, already, we've really already said that. Yeah, we, we could just say the same thing about that verse could apply to our works. I mean, like, we get this idea that if I do this for God or this for God, then I'm, he's, you know, I'm, back, Con, I'm a Yeah, person. contributes nothing to our status. Anymore. Contributes yeah. nothing to our status. We are, we can't be more children of God than we are. We're children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, the child, the true son of God, right? Mm-hmm. But we, but as children through faith, we begin to change. Our hearts change. We're given hearts of flesh, not hearts of stone. And we want to, we, we're grieved by sin, like mom just talked about. We want to follow God. We begin, we have, we now have the DNA, a new DNA, the DNA of the son of God. And so we begin to act like him, to follow him, to love him, to love the father. Not perfectly, by fits and starts. We can get caught in sin. We sin daily. John in 1 John says, if we say we have no sin, we are what? Liars. So a mark of a non-Christian is, I don't have any sin. Okay, you're not, a, you don't know, you don't understand. You, you, you're no longer a sinner. You're no longer marked by your sin. You're a saint. You're marked by the righteousness that's pushed into your account through Jesus. And you are being changed day by day is from one glory, one degree of glory to the next. Um, and like Martin Luther said in the first of the 95 theses that he nailed on the door to Wittenberg, right? In the Wittenberg, in Wittenberg, Germany, on the chapel door. Uh, the life of the Christian ought to be one characterized by continual repentance. The more we can flee to Jesus, the more we can receive from him, the more we can be sorrowful for our sin and not 
feel like we need to bear the guilt because he's already done that, but to be his children and to live in a state of, it's your righteousness, not mine. I hate sin, and I'm fully accepted in you. Uh, um, and I'm not standing on my own performance. I'm standing on yours. Um, the better. Okay, so, so that was unsaid by Paul, a bit I just said. So we can know that righteousness does not come from circumcision. I think that's why we have chapter 15 in Genesis before chapter 17. Before he's circumcised, he's reckoned as if he were righteous. Um, but also, this is said by Paul. So this righteousness reckoned through faith could be applied to those who are not circumcised as well as those who are, right? So we know that's really the argument he's making here explicitly. Is that he, because the question he starts off with is, is this righteousness for the Jews only, this righteousness by faith, is it for Jews only or also for Gentiles? He says, hang on. Um, in other words, he says, for Jews, the circumcised. And he's like, wait, Abraham, the father of the Jews. There was a long time, years and years, where he was, he was, the righteousness of God was accounted, was pushed into his account, was counted as if it were his. Through faith in God's promise. Years and years and years and years before he was circumcised. He was an uncircumcised person and reckoned righteous with the, God, with the righteousness of God. So, therefore, the uncircumcised can indeed be reckoned righteous through faith in Christ. That's his argument. And that was a big problem in the early church, right? The big time. The were telling people that they needed to be circumcised. Big time. And Paul went to but Paul's also battle. Paul also said in chapter 2 that a Jew is one of the heart. Circumcised of the heart. Which is what circumcision pointed to all along, right? Not one outwardly. Right. Exactly. Yeah, the true circumcision, it, you know, it's a, circumcision was a sign of something deeper, you know, of, of the seal of a righteousness that, was, that, were, that we received by faith, of, of, a, of, a, of God's heart given to us through his son, Jesus Christ. A new insight, a new DNA, a new constitution. Um, so... Um, okay, let's move on to, finally, to verses 13 through 25. Let me read them, this final section. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be, so he's just said, hey, is this, is this blessing only for the circumcised? No, it's also, it's for everyone. It's also for the uncircumcised. And he points to Abraham again. Now, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but there, where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. Verse 16. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, Jew and Gentile. That's what he means there. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations and in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope. Talking about Abraham. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was, by the way, super old. Super wrinkly, super soft. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. How are you going to do this, Lord? And he's looking around. We'll get to that. Which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. By the way, they're old, but also double whammy. 
They've never had kids. His wife can't have kids. She's barren. So both of those things stacked against him, up against God's promise. Verse 20, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Now, we're about to come up on an amazing truth here, the way he finishes this chapter. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Verse 25, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Okay, so let's dig in to these few verses here. God's promise to Abraham to bless him and the world through him came not through law-keeping, but through faith. Just as Abraham trusted in God's ability, not his own. Right? His own ability was, my wife is barren. You promised me a child, and you promised that through my child, I'm going to have all these children that are going to, and you're going to, through these children, you're going to bless all the families of the earth. What? You're going to, re, you're going to recreate all things. You're going to save creation through my kid, but I'm really, really old and my wife's barren. So just as Abraham trusted in God's ability, not his own, so we trust in God's ability, not our own, by trusting in Jesus, not our law keeping to save us. It's the same, it's the same mechanism. Abraham looked forward, we look back to the same Christ. Verse 13, the promise to Abraham, as I just sort of said, and as Paul certainly says, the promise to Abraham was that he would be heir of the world. Astonishing. That's a, that's a great way to put it. It wasn't just you're going to have a kid. But so how was Abraham going to be heir of the world? How does that, somebody just sort of unpack that. What, that was God's promise to him. What, that's Paul's shorthand. What is he, how's he going to be heir of the world? Way bigger than you're just going to have a kid. Yeah. Well, he's, he's the heir in that he receives the promise. Uh, temporally, well, no, he never got the land, but right. he got the, he was promised future land. So right. he himself is the promise. He will receive that, right? But he, but of the world, because uh, obviously, like, if you think about it in legal terms, right, he's the, his descendants also inherit it through him. Mm-hmm. Is that what he's saying? And through Abraham, through Isaac, the child of promise came whom? Jesus, the, the, the savior of all, the king of the cosmos, God himself. And everyone who looks to Jesus and is reckoned as righteous with his righteousness and whose sins are expiated, who are wiped away and forgiven, who are made children of God, become, they are heirs of Abraham. They are children of Abraham, spiritual heirs who trust in God, who look to God by faith and his promise, which is Jesus and become Abraham's descendants. And so, and we will all receive resurrection bodies when Christ returns. We will be as he is, and he will do away with sin, and he will do away with evil, and he will restore creation. And literally, bodily, Abraham will, the father of faith, the father of us all, who's given the world Messiah, will see the entire creation through his faith restored. So it's this amazing promise that even now God is accomplishing through Jesus Christ, his son, right? Um, 
in verse 13 here, even, even here, you can see that obedience is a natural and necessary consequence of real faith. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God came to Abraham in Ur with a promise that God would bless the entire world through Abraham. Every family of the earth will be blessed through you. Abraham's first response in the very next verse after God's promise in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The very, the next, the very next verse, verse 4, it says, he did what God said. He packed up and started moving. He acted on God's word. That is, he believed God. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't try to attain righteousness through works, but he believed God and his belief had feet. It resulted in action. And this is what James says. A lot of people pit, pit James against Paul, but James simply says true faith results in action. And that's exactly what we see with Abraham, the man of faith who believed God. The first thing he does is he gets up and he acts on God's word. That's belief. That's what belief does. Um, so true, true, true trust has feet. True faith has feet. It resulted in action for Abraham. Um, so James and Paul agree. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep or obey my commands. Um, and the first thing Jesus wants us to do is to trust in him and to look to him as Lord and Savior and to believe that he died in our place and to cast ourselves upon him, right? Um, verse 15, Paul says, for the law brings wrath. Un- unpack that. Let's unpack that a little bit. Unpack that for me. Let's try to unravel that. That's a, that's a packed phrase. And a lot of, I mean, he, Paul's really drawing on what he's been saying for chapters, right? Well, you said the law brings knowledge of sin. Yes. Right? So it's... That's kind of I didn't know what it was to covet until I saw the law that says, thou shalt not covet. Yep. Yep. Um, it, it reveals the... It brings it out. I it, mean, he'll say later that the... Well, you just quoted the verse, right? That it, it teases, almost teases it out of us. Right. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't just show us when we break the law, but it actually provokes because of our rebellion, because we're born into sin and into opposition to God because of the sin of Adam. We're born from Adam in the first birth. God's law, when we see it, we actually, there's something in us that because of sin that makes us want to break it. There's a power there. Like Augustine's pears. Like what? Like Augustine's pears. Like Augustine's pears, Exactly. He didn't pick the pears that weren't his because he wanted to eat them. It was just really because he wanted to take them and break a law. He threw them away. He didn't even like pears. Is wrath in that sentence, um, or that verse, is that, called, is that the wrath of God? Or is that talking about like the wrath of God? Yes. Because if we, the law makes us sin because we're going to break the law. Well, the and law is good. It doesn't God, make us sin, but it provokes, it provokes the sin that's in us. The law is good. It's God's character. It don't, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not murder. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, so, but the, the wrath is the wrath of God against yes. us because we've sinned against the law. Yes. Okay. Um, so like, and like Paul says over and over again in those couple in Romans 1 through 3, it's not enough to have the law. The Jews are like, we have the law. We're, we're okay. Like, no, you have to keep the law, and no one... No one has even come close to keeping the whole law. If you break, as James says, if you break one of the laws, you break the whole law. It's like a spider's web. You touch one piece of it, the whole thing shakes. Because, because the law is of a piece, because God is, it all comes from him. And not, you can't offend one portion of God. You offend all of him and his holiness and his goodness. And so it's impossible to stand on, right, on our own righteousness and our law keeping. So the law brings wrath. Um, it, it provokes my sin. 
There, but also it shows me what sin is when I break it. There are consequences to breaking the law. Um, there must be if God is true, if he keeps his word. So an, a simple example is um, like on the Autobahn where there's no speed limit, which I long to drive on someday, and a fast car that's not my Toyota Corolla. Um, if I drive 130 miles an hour, I cannot get pulled over for speeding because there's no speed limit. Um, once the 75 mile per hour signs are posted as sign, a sign of the law, I can and should get pulled over for going 130, right? So the law, um, it provokes the wrath of the police in this case. Um, notice in this verse, in verse 15, Paul uses the word transgressions here and not sin. A transgression is a sin, but it's the type of sin. It's law-breaking. He's accenting the law-breaking aspect of sin for those who have the law. In, a, in this sense, we talked about this, Jews have a greater wrath against them if they rely on their law-keeping to stand them in right stead with God. Um, they, know, uh, they, they know many more of the sins they're committing because the law points those things out. Right? So it's actually worse for them if, if it's their law-keeping they're relying on to be right with God. Um, so verse 16, Paul tells us here, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. Um, faith corresponds to grace here. He's connecting the two. Faith takes hold of the grace of God. Um, it receives it. Grace being God's favor, as I said earlier. God's favor, this, a smile on God's face, peace with God. God's favor is given to us as we trust, not in our work, as we trust, if we have faith in. Not in our work, not in my performance, not in my law keeping, but in the, not in my own heart, but in the work of another, namely Jesus of Nazareth, Right? So faith takes hold of God's favor through trusting not in myself, but in another, the law keeper and the one who paid for my law breaking. Um, I think 16b, the end of 16 and the beginning of 17 must have made the Jews feel silly because, again, I think it's a sign of genius. Paul, who knows the law so well and has the spirit of the living God inside of him and sees how Christ fulfills all things, the way he reads it, it seems so obvious. But I think a lot of them hadn't seen it. But he says... um, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. He's talking about, who does he mean when he says the father of us all? Who's all? Mankind. What did what, you say? All who believe, sorry. Yeah, yeah, so all who believe. So in other words, not just Jews. Jews and Gentiles. Anyone who trusts in Jesus. So Abraham's the father of anyone who trusts in God through Christ. He's the father of us all, Jew and Gentile. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. And my point is, Paul just simply goes back to Genesis 12, the very first time Abraham's mentioned. And the promise to Abraham was that God said, right at that first promise, I am going to... I mean, again, Abraham is the father of the Jews. All Jew, all ethnic Jews come from Abraham through Isaac. And right there at the beginning of the, the, the first promise God gives to Abraham is, I will bless every family of the earth through you. And so Paul just says, look... In the right of that first promise, as it is written, I've made you the father of many nations. Um, like, and it's, it's because Abraham is the, he, he takes hold of the grace of God through faith in God, not through law keeping. And so at, through faith in God, not through his circumcision, not through his law keeping, he becomes the father of anyone who has faith in God through Jesus Christ, who looks to, who looks to Jesus and says, you live the life that I should live, and you die the death that I deserve. So in that sense, Abraham becomes the father of Jew and Gentile, of everyone who looks to him.
who looks to Jesus. Um, okay. So, verse 17. Um, how was Isaac, verse 17, uh, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Um, how was Isaac a picture, Isaac being the child of promise, the child that, that Abraham and Sarah had in their old age that, that, that eventually leads to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is born from Isaac. How is Isaac a picture of or analogous to our life in Christ? He was, uh, well, Sarah's, Sarah's womb was dead. Yeah, dead. There's no, I mean, they were, she was barren and she was 90. So doubly dead, right? So he was brought out of that dead womb. Through the promise life, of God. Promise. Yeah, life came. In Paul says in Ephesians, uh, you who are dead in trespasses. Yep, dead in trespasses. And we were made alive as we, as we looked to Christ, as we united to Christ. And what did Jesus do through death? What did Jesus do through his death on the cross? He took our sins. He defeated death itself through death. He brought us life by taking our death upon himself. He gave us his own life. He, he rose to, yeah, he started a new creation. He rose to a life, a human life, impervious to sin and death. And, and we are united to that. And that's a guarantee for all those who look to Jesus. Even as we continue to struggle with sin, that no longer defines us. and no longer enthralls us who look to Jesus by faith. Um, and so Isaac is a, a prototype of, a picture of, and that's what Paul is saying here in verse 17. Um, he's a picture of life in Christ. That life, that God, God through death brings us into life. Um, it's not for no reason that Jesus' tomb was in a garden, right? Um, Isaac was life from the dead, as Jordan just said. Thus he was the child not of human work or effort. Not, you know, he wasn't the ch- a child the way most people have a child, through their own getting busy, Right? He was, he, was not, he was the child not of human work or effort, but of God's promise, of God's work. So those who trust in Jesus, God's work, are all true sons of Isaac, not Ishmael. Even if you're Arab, it doesn't matter. Even if you're Jewish, even if you're American, even if you're, or you can be an American, Arab, or Israeli, but if you're Chinese, if you're, it doesn't matter. Uh, you're a true son of Isaac, not Ishmael, if you look to the one who gives life from the dead, and you look to Jesus Christ who brings us life through his death. Um, verse 19. Let me just read 18. I hate to skip it. I mean, I read it before, but in hope he believed against hope, Abraham, right? That he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So everything around Abraham, and look, a little bit more, but we're, we're getting down to 24 and 25, and then I'll, oh no, I've been way over, I'm so sorry, what's wrong with me, um, I need to wrap, I got, surprise, I got carried away, surprise. gosh, surprise, surprise, <laughs> let me wrap, everything around Abraham that he could see, everything that he could see with his eyes was, spoke against the promise of God and said death to him, his age, his wife's age, her barrenness, um, 
it all, everything that, with the, that he looked at with the eyes in his head spoke against God's promise being fulfilled. Now, you may look at your life, you may look at your past, the, the hash you've made of your life, of your sin, of your mistakes, uh, of your failures, your brokenness, your despair in the past, in the present. You may look around with the eyes in your head, just like Abraham was, and you may feel it's impossible to be favored of God, free. But God's promise to you in Christ is that no matter what you've done and where you are, he, through his own son and not through your work and not through your performance, but through the righteous and perfect life of his son and through the perfect atoning death of Jesus Christ who paid for, who became every single one of your sins on that cross, God has made a perfect way for you to have peace with him, for you to have fullness of joy and life forever. We see it in shadow form when Abraham, and it's exactly um, in full form what God has called us to in Jesus Christ. Look, look away from your past. Look away from even your present. Look away from your performance, from your brokenness and your despair, and look to Jesus Christ. He is the one that we're called to believe on, to cast our eyes on. He was lifted up. He was lifted up to become sin for us. And he was buried to kill death for us, to defeat death for us. And he rose to bring us into his life that will never end. Receive the gift with the open hand of faith, as Abraham did. Receive the gift. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Verse 20, um, Abraham looked to, fixated on God's promise and not on his circumstances. As, as, uh, as I just said. And then um, as we wind to a close, um, verses 21 through 25, Paul is saying that God is able to do what he has promised through his word. Um, all his words point to, to, his, to the word, Jesus Christ. His words to Abraham in Genesis 12 point to Jesus, the word. Um, now Paul brings it home. Um, Genesis fifteen six, not written for Abraham's sake, he says, alone, but for our sake. For we who believe in him, who, uh, excuse me, for, uh, yes, for, for us um, who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. Um, so let me just read verses 23 through 25, and then we'll, we'll close as I unpack them. Um, and I, have a, I just have a couple, a couple more things. Sorry, I didn't leave any time for Q&A. We have a, we'll have a little bit, but golly. But the, verse 23, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, not just for Abraham, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead our Lord Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, verse 25 is a linchpin verse for me. What are the two glorious universe-exploding truths that this verse, verse 25, this last verse here in Romans 4, conveys? Let's take them one at a time. What's the first truth, this glorious truth that Paul is telling us here? Paid the penalty for our sins. Okay, so why was Jesus handed over to death? 
Why was he delivered up to die on a cross? Why did Jesus die? Why did God give him over his own son to die? Why did Jesus give himself up to die? What, is, what does Paul say here? Literally, if you just look at the verse. For our justification. Okay, so you're getting ahead. That's the next. But what, what about why was he? That was why he was raised. And we'll get there next. What's the first truth, though? He was delivered up. He went to the cross. Because we're sinners. We couldn't be in a relationship with God the Father until the sin was paid for. That's right. And God li- loved us so much. He wanted us in relationship with him. And that was the only way we could do it. He could do it. Absolutely. And what literally, what does Paul say here? He was delivered up for our... Okay, not for his trespasses. He didn't die because he had broken the law. He died for our sin. He died for our law-breaking. Literally, why did Jesus die? For our law-breaking. His death was payment for our law-breaking. Now, here's, here's where Paul, I think, lowers the boom and gives us this tremendous insight. And why, this is a parallel verse. And why was Jesus raised? And this is what Sarah just touched on. Why was Jesus raised? What does he say? So he was given over, he died on the cross for our law-breaking, not for his. And why was he raised? To make us righteous. Yeah, for our justification. So that we might be reckoned righteous or just before God. Um, now, the simplest way to do this, for the sake of time, is to see that this is a parallel verse. He was raised up for our trespasses. In other words, you can easily read that, and this is what the preposition means. It's the same preposition in both places, for our trespasses and for our justification, same word. He was delivered up, let me say this, because of our trespasses. Why was he delivered up? Because of us, because of our sin, our law-breaking. And why was he raised? Put the word because in there. He was raised because of our justification. In other words, okay, that's a bit, I think, hard, a little harder to get your head around, but it's a universe-exploding truth. Jesus was delivered up for, for our, because of our trespasses, because of us, not because of him. Why was he raised? He was raised because of our justification. In other words, his cross makes us right with God, and he was raised to show that we've been justified. He was raised to show that his death for our trespasses was perfect and full payment to God the Father who is perfectly just. He was raised to show because of the fact that we had, that we had been justified by his, by his cross. In other words, the resurrection is empirical proof. Here's what Paul's saying. It's empirical proof that, the, that full payment has been made for your sin. He was raised because you've been justified by his cross. That is amazing. You can know that you know that you know, especially as you delve into the resurrection and the empty tomb and the evidence, which we've touched on earlier, the evidence for the empty tomb. Um, And there's no other good explanation, historical, logical, otherwise, for anything but that Jesus was resurrected. There was so much evidence that he was actually bodily resurrected. And what Paul is saying here is that he was indeed and that he was resurrected because his payment had been accepted as fully justifying you before God the Father. And that is just such an amazing truth. Um, so let me just quote, close with a couple quotes. Had he not risen from the dead one could only conclude that he remained under the sentence of condemnation. And the wrath of God and the destructive consequences of sin had not exhausted themselves. 
but were still at work upon him. There would be no reason for those whom he represented to expect a different destiny and every reason for them to conclude that they remained in their sins. That's, that's um, Knox Chamberlain in Paul and the Self. So his resurrection showed that he was no longer held by sin and death because he'd fully paid them. He got to walk. You know, it's like when somebody pays a 20-year sentence in prison and then the prison uh, guard comes and he opens the, he opens the door and he, and he says, you're free to go. You can get your stuff. It's in a box here. It's been here for 20 years. Because the sentence has been paid in full. And Jesus walking out of the grave, I mean, he, he was paying for our sin. The fact that he walked out of the grave showed that we are free from those sins because they've been fully paid for. The sentence had been fully paid. All the hell that we would have paid for. All the wrath of God that, we, that would have been on us for eternity. Every bit of law-breaking that we would have had to pay for the resurrection, he, the fact that he walked out of the grave shows that it has been paid for in full by Jesus Christ. So you are free. You're as free as he was on that Sunday morning. Uh, regardless of what you feel like, regardless of your circumstances, that is your real situation. You must, if you live out of that reality, which is, again, looking to his promise and his word that tells you this is your status in Jesus, not your feelings, not your circumstances. This is your actual freedom and status as a free child of God, fully paid for, united to the risen Christ. That will set you free. What a wonderful truth. The resurrection, another quote, the resurrection ratifies the achievement of the cross. The father's raising of the son in his, is his mighty yes or amen to what the son accomplished in his death. And then finally, a friend of mine who became a Christian a few years ago he used to live across the street from us. He said, Christ's resurrection is the check clearing. He was an accountant. Christ, I love that. Christ's resurrection is the check clearing. It is God saying, my son's payment for Laurence, for Jordan, for Susan, for Rachel, for, for Andrew, and I could go down the table, for Sarah, for Kenya, uh, is accepted. It's enough. Uh, my son's payment for them is enough because he's free, you're free. Um, let me close with just a quote and then a silly, a silly illustration that I thought of one day. Um, my mentor up in the woodlands, Jeff Wells, he says, I am not saved because of what I do. I am saved because of what Christ has done. That's the gospel. Um, the silliness of trying to rely on our own effort to save us rather than on God's effort, on his work through Jesus Christ. Uh, I illustrated me in a silly way. Not perfectly, but um, this is the last thing I'll say, and then we'll have a few minutes to, to Q&A. But um, I saw a fly. We've all seen this, like a fly just buzzing up against a window trying to get out, and, you know, just hitting it like a thousand times. And uh, you're sitting there going like, there's no possible way that that, it's a fly on the inside trying to get out, and the fly can't understand in a million years what's happening. And in a million years, if, if, if that situation doesn't change, that fly is never going to get out outside, ever. It's just going to keep on hitting that window. I don't care how much effort. And that, that to me was just a little silly example of how if we were trying to get right with God through our own effort, there is zero way. But what is required is an intervention from something outside. The, the, the minute the window is open and the fly can't do that, escape, freedom.
And that's what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. I know it's silly, but what God has done for us, he's intervened, he's broken into space and time, and he has done for us what no amount of beating against that window of law-keeping of good deeds could do. He has freed us through his son, Jesus Christ, and what he calls us to is simply to look to him as Abraham did, to trust in, in his promise, which is Jesus. And that's what we get to point people to, and that's what we get to fix our eyes on, not on the barrenness of our womb, not on how old we are, but on God's promise, which is, which is Jesus. Um, okay, so we should do Q&A, and then we should sing out nothing but the blood of Jesus. Um, so let's, let's do a little Q&A. Let's do a few minutes of that. And, uh, and we, ha- we already had a little bit in, uh, in the first section, but, and I don't, I don't know that I slowed down for the second one, but any, any, anything at all? We've had some good questions already, but... Um, the word kafar means covered? Yes, ma'am. How do you spell it? K, and the translation would be K-A-P-H-A-R. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, I can put it down for you in Hebrew if you want. Oh, yeah. If you want. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll write it up there, too. Okay. okay anyway. Right. Here. Okay. Thank you. All right. Um, um, is there any extent to which the resurrection of Christ was also necessary for our salvation, or is it was it kind of purely symbolic? If that right, like, like was, check, the check's cleared. Right, yeah. like I, I kind of always thought that there was something about the resurrection itself. Yeah, was also it's a good question. Like necessary for salvation, or something about like Christ the man also going up. And like being resurrected, and, and him being in human form as well, right? Like that, that in that resurrection, there was some component of that that was necessary. That's a great question. And I was just curious if you had thoughts on that. Great question. Um, any anyone? I see Andrew moving around in his chair. I see Willie down there. Any anyone else? Anyone want to take a stab at? That's a very good question. Um, as an animal anyone. dies, so in yeah. Christ all will be made alive. Mm-hmm. So, Which we're getting to in the next chapter, right? Romans 5. So if, if, we're, um, if we're united to Christ, he had to rise. He so had to rise. We will, we will rise uh, in the same way that he did. So the answer is yes to your question. It wasn't just a sign that his payment for us had been accepted. It was also arising to a new life that we are joined to through faith in him and that that will be fully and gloriously ours when he returns um we will we will have resurrected bodies as like him when we when he returns and we see him face to face and then he'll fully remake all things um and yeah we're going to get into that more in chapter five in romans five but yes i think that's a great question and i'd love to hear anything else that anybody else has on that but it, it is it is a sign of the fact that his payment for us was fully sufficient, but it's more than a sign. It had to happen. Exactly right. Um, for a new humanity. Um, he, he was the first of a new type of, of human that's free from the power of sin and death. Um, as the second Adam. That's why it's, it's in Romans, next chapter, Romans 5, why Paul calls him the second Adam. He's, there, were only, there were only two real, not real humans, humans as God intended them between Adam and Jesus. The first Adam unfallen, um, fully at peace with God, fully in step with God, fully submissive to God, fully dependent on God. 
before he sinned, and then, um, and then the second Adam, Jesus. And so in the first Adam, we are all, we're all represented by him because we come, literally we're born from him. That's why we must be reborn, born a second time through faith in Christ, as now he is our representative, not the first Adam. Uh, and we will go where he has gone, which is into a life that's free from sin and death. So that's a great, yeah, very concise. Any, anybody else uh, on that? Great question. And we'll get into much more of that next week and the week after. I think we'll, I think we'll divide Romans 5 into two weeks. I think. Yeah. We, oh, yeah, we will. We'll do 1 through 11 next week. Or next week. And by the way, oh, brownies. Who brought the brownies? Thank you. Bob and I and I. Divide them up. Let's, uh, we have another que- time for another question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or two. Absolutely. Verse 21 says um, that Abraham was fully assured. It didn't, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing. He was fully assured that what he had brought, what God had promised, he was able to. Yeah. And that just hit me like, not just for Abraham, but like for me. Like, I really believe God's word is God's promise to me. Like whatever I'm reading, like um, um, all things work together for good for those who love Him and are called. Romans, Romans eight twenty eight. Okay, well, we all have things in our lives that we, we go. How can this be good? How could God ever bring good out of this? How can He work this? Yeah, for I, good. If, or just any promise in the Word that He makes to us, and He has so many, but how many? But we don't always, we can't always stand on his promises because we don't always know the word the way we should. Right, word. right. So, yeah. How can we have faith in his promises if we don't know what his promises are? Exactly. Right. That's a great and point. So, but if I, if I really believe, believe God and he's able to perform what he has said here, then, you know, if I stand on it, God's going to say, okay, I'm going to do it for you then. Now, you know without faith, it's impossible to please God. So right? How many times have I just not used, used that? Um, not, not believed his word, therefore I've not received yeah. what he wants to give me yep. through his word. I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, uh, okay, anything else? And then we'll take one more question and then we'll sing. Yep. Um, so, uh-oh. You say, uh-oh. Uh-oh. So, so this is something that's kind of unresolved in my own thinking. But Double if, uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> if, um, when the oracle asks a question, you're in trouble. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> if, if Abraham, um, it, it says Abraham had genuine faith because he, uh, he knew God and he, he trusted in God to presumably deal with his sin in some way and he, he wasn't trying to earn God's favor or, or whatever and um, so so my question would be um, if it's commonly assumed or taught that at least post Jesus's life on earth um, people can't be saved unless they explicitly hear the gospel and respond yeah. positively to it so would that entail that a person couldn't have the kind of faith that Abraham 
had and and still ultimately be reconciled to God like Abraham didn't know about Jesus right he, he still knew that there was a God and knew right that he had to trust in God that's a good so I mean is, gosh is there yeah. why why would there be more intellectual propositions that you have to give assent to in order to actually yeah why, why would that have changed post? It's a great, I, I can't adequately answer that partly because I can't, but also we don't have the time, but that's a great question. Maybe we can return to it next week, but let me just give a couple quick stabs. Good question. Number one, number two, I think that there's something to the fact that Abraham, he was trusting, he was trusting Christ in that the son of, he was trusting the son of God in that he trusted God and, and, and the second person, of the Trinity is fully God, right? So he was trusting in, um, in the only God that there is. Jesus hadn't yet revealed. God had not revealed himself in Christ in space and time. And so um, I think that allowance was obviously made for people um, that didn't have the full revelation of who God is in his, in his trinity that we do um, because Jesus had not yet become incarnate. But secondly, um, and this is by no means an exhaustive answer, but it's just touching on a couple things. Secondly, there's that verse, is it in John 8? Where Jesus says, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. So I think that the, the, the fact that he was looking ahead toward, he was looking to the promise of God. He was looking to God's word and believing in God's word and in God's promise. And we do the same in looking to God's word and God's promise to, to do what we can't, when we look around, see any possibility of our doing. I'm a lawbreaker, I'm a sinner, but yet I look to his word, his promise in Christ. And I say, oh, I believe that, that you... Uh, have done what I cannot do. Now, still there are things unresolved um, in your question. Um, I think, lastly, I would say that God is far more gracious than we are, um, and he only ever judges us based on what we know, not on what we don't know. And yet, Romans 10, we're called to, we're enjoined to, we're commanded to go and share the gospel, and people need to need to believe on Christ and need to know that God has sent him into the world to, to be our savior. So let's return to that. That's a great question. I have not, I haven't satisfied myself in an answer, but we got, we've run out of time and, and, and beyond that. So um, let's bookmark that, but good, good question. Good insight. I never quite thought about it in that way. Um, let's, let's, uh, let me, let me close this and then let's sing out. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Um, thank you for this crew and the brownies, and the candy, and Thanksgiving, and Lord, I pray that you just give us thankful hearts, Lord, I know that the thankful heart is the healthy heart, um, all that we have is from you, um, all that's, uh, all that's evil is, is, is of, is of us, and all that's good is, is of you, and you've given us your son, and we just bless you, um, even if the rest of our life, everything around us is shambles, Lord, you've secured us, You've given us the very best by giving us your son. And we know if we're in him, where we're headed, no matter what happens to us here. And, and so um, we thank you for him. We bless with Jesus. We thank you. We speak directly to you. We thank you for giving your life for us, for, for living for us, for dying for us, for rising for us, for reigning for us now and for returning for us soon. Um, keep our eyes fixed on you. Help us to trust you as Abraham did um, and to proclaim you uh, to, to every creature under heaven. Uh, thanks for this crew. Would you just give us a a restful and rich and regenerative Thanksgiving week and um, bring us back next next Monday rejoicing uh, as we continue to walk through Romans. In Jesus' name, amen.
Okay, speaking of rejoicing, let's just sing together. Let's sing out. Uh, hang on. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Okay. Oh, a oh, guy. Hang on. I don't want to.